2 Timothy, and today we're in chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and still looking at this idea of pass it down today very clearly uh, in chapter 2, in verse 2, we're going to see that that is exactly what we're instructed to do, is to pass it down. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to be in verses uh, 1 through 7 this morning. The Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Verse 5. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. And the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Today's message is, I want you to, again, we talked about this the very first week, is to think about how you're passing your faith down, okay? And as, again, it's such a perfect example of day of what that looks like. But even here in our church, we need to be taking the faith that we have and putting it into Leah, into Dasha. Wendy and I need to put it in Isaiah, and then they hopefully will carry it and pass it on down that way. And so today, as you sit there and you work through the Word, ask the Lord to kind of fill your mind who do I need to be pouring myself into, and am I doing that? Am I doing that with the diligence that I need to do? We're going to look at four examples today about growing in Christ, and they're four different people. So we have a teacher. Do we have any teachers here today? At least one, right? We have a soldier. Any soldiers here today? At least we've got a couple soldiers, at least, maybe more. Um, then we have a athlete. <laughs> right says he's the athlete maybe jacob and david right we are athletes today and then the last one we have is a farmer do we have any farmers susan's from a farming family but i don't know if we have any farmers today we're going to have these four examples and as we go through the scripture i want you to really see the characteristics of these people and it might help you kind of latch on to uh, this passage and hopefully you can kind of take it with you uh, this week so the first thing I want to do real briefly, and I hope I'm not wearing you out too much, but I like to kind of review a little bit of what we've done. And so we've been through chapter one, and we talked about week one, chapter one, about fanning the flame, right? If you want to get the flame going, what's one of the things you really have to give to the flame? Oxygen, fuel and oxygen, right? And so what I've been challenging everyone is, what is the oxygen that you are giving to the Holy Spirit to really make your life on fire for the Lord. And if you deprive the Spirit of God oxygen, what's going to happen to your flame? Right? This little light of mine, right? Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. So we need to let that flame shine, and we need to give it oxygen. And a lot of you are doing that, but I want to encourage you to continue in prayer, continue in study, continue in fellowship, continue and fill in your mind with things that are noble and pure and lovely and of good report that you can make the oxygen level just go way up so that flame will grow in your life. And then you'll remember this phrase that stuck with me in the second uh, message 
in 2 Timothy was, have you entrusted your life and your death to God? Most of us, it's pretty easy to say, God, you have my life. Use it however you want to. I want you to take it and use it. Can you give God your death? Death is all around us right now on, in our media, isn't it, right? It just continually bombards you. And I, I don't, don't want you to be afraid, and I want you to be scared. What I want you to do is give your death to God. Lord, however you're going to take me, however you're going to use that time of taking me, let even my death be glorifying to you, because I know what's on the other side of that is wonderful things for me. But let even my death be glory to you. Have you ever been to a funeral that was more of a celebration than just a sad time? I mean, those are the most amazing things when someone's death is given to God. Entrust your life, your death to God. That was the second week. And then last week, you remember the preacher lost his voice on this one because he got so carried away. Onesiphorus, you remember Phygelus and Hermogenes, Paul says, they've abandoned me. And a lot of the people from Asia, they, they let me go. They were ashamed of my bonds. They were ashamed of my chains. They didn't like the fact that I was in prison and they weren't willing to come into Rome being an outsider and being identifying with someone who was in jail. They were scared and ashamed and they wouldn't help me at all. But there was a guy, his name was Onesiphorus, and I still, this whole week, I cannot get past this phrase. Paul says, he looked for me until he found me. And you, I about lost it here last week, remember that? Like, there are people that are in our lives, and when I mean to, to look for them till we find them, there's, they're a shell of what they need to be, right? It could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be some sort of other abuse or affliction, it could be just scar tissue from being hurt so much that they have completely put a shell around themselves and they need someone to look and look and look and look and look until they can be found. And Paul says for Onesiphorus, he came to Rome and he looked for me until he found me, right? So again, I could just rest there all day. Today, we're going to go and try to help some people by giving them a simple little gift of food. But we need to try to look into their eyes and look deeper and see who's in there and ask the Lord to bring out that person that he has redeemed and that he, what he has for them, that somehow even this little thing might be a blessing to them to put them on the path to healing. So again, chapter one, their review. So today, let's look down. We're going to start in verse um, one of chapter two. And the idea that we want to kind of put the umbrella over all these four different people is to be strong in grace. Verse one, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Are you strong in grace today? How many are strong in law? How many are you good at keeping the rules? Do we have any rule followers here today? Is the preacher the only rule follower? I break a few rules too, but I have a hard time breaking rules. It just kind of kills me to break a rule. Some of you are like, oh, come on, preacher, it's not that bad, right? Spiritually, when you are strong in law, it's not a good thing, is it, right? You know what I'm talking about? Well, I checked off my Bible reading. I'm good. Uh, I might be even a little better than you. I checked off my prayer today. Good. I bet you didn't do as much as I did. I checked off my giving today. I gave 15%. How much did you give? I checked off my witnessing today. Have you told anybody about Jesus? I'm going down my laws. Check, 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 check. Wow, the Lord has got to be impressed with me. He's going to do good things for me because, man, I am good at keeping the law. Amen? Are you any strong in the law? 
There's a real temptation for this person up here. Did Paul tell Timothy, be strong in the law that is in Christ Jesus? <laughs> he said, be strong in the grace, in the giving, in the gift that you've given. We say this all the time here. You cannot do this on your own. Our message is not to you today. Get out of here and be a better person because you can't. But you can be a better person in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what Paul was telling Timothy, right? Remember chapter one? He doesn't give us the spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind or self-discipline is what the scripture says, right? So again, be strong in grace. And that also means grace with one another. You ever have a hard time giving someone else grace? You're not gonna believe this, but we had worship practice this morning and Diane was like five minutes late. Where was she? We couldn't even do what we needed to do because she wasn't there. Can you believe that? I'm not worried about Diane. She's so gifted. She can just jump in, fill in. But sometimes we can look at people and their activity and we can go all over how we think that that is wrong and they're not doing what they need to do and that kind of thing. And the Lord says, be strong in grace. How much have you been forgiven? How many times have I made the mistake? <laughs> Let's not go there, right? Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And if you're going to be a church leader of any kind, you better learn this early on. You need to be strong in grace. Again, think of Paul teaching Timothy, who's going to teach other people. Timothy, you better figure this out. You need to be strong in grace. That is in who? Look at that. That's pretty important, isn't it, right? You can get generosity and kindness and gifts from many places, but we're talking about the grace that comes from the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the power of Jesus Christ. You be strong in Christ. You guys, we can do a lot of good things. We can go hand out food. We can go help the poor. We can go to the nursing home. We can go to the jail. We can go to immigration centers. We can do lots of good things, but we need to be all about Jesus. And that's what this passage is a reminder of. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And that's where it starts. All right, let's look at our four people today. As we think about being strong in the grace, we're going to see characteristics from each of these people. So our first one is what? The teacher, right? The teacher. So what is Paul trying to tell Timothy to emulate from teachers? Look down at verse 2. Paul says, "...in the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses in trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to do what? To teach others. I know whom I'm believed, right? And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed or entrusted to him against that day. You remember that? It was like three weeks ago, <laughs> right? In trust. Right? We even saw again last week the idea of entrusting to the Lord and the Lord entrusting in us. That There's a two-way street there. So again, we have this same picture of the teacher. And what I want to bring this out, and I think this is such a perfect picture of what discipleship should look like, and it's, you'll see there's four different areas there. Paul says, the things you have heard me say, so we got Paul, you to Timothy, Paul to Timothy, the things you have heard me say, you entrust them to reliable people, reliable men, who will also be able to do what? To teach others, right? This is literally passing the faith along. 
Now, Michael and I, we have this conversation quite a bit, and we had it again this morning. Um, it is important that you know the Word of God, okay? And one of the best ways to do that is to study that in a group setting. It's good to study in a Sunday school class. It's good to study on a Wednesday night like we're doing now with Healing as a Choice. It's good to just study with some friends. But, but discipleship usually really happens when we're thrown into service together. I'll tell you that these boys and girls that are in my class, most of them aren't going to remember everything I said to them this morning. And if you were teaching them, they wouldn't remember everything you said either. But you know what? The things they are going to remember is the love and the relationship. And the things they are going to remember is that, yeah, I remember when I was a kid, we would like packet these food things together and we would go downtown, right? I remember when I was a kid, my dad challenged me to pray on a football field in front of my friends, <laughs> right? I remember uh, going into the jail and trying to help some people there that were hurting and that were different than I was. I remember that. And the trust that I need in the Lord to do those kind of things, those are the things that are going to disciple people. Paul, again, telling Timothy, think about what Paul's doing. Timothy's about to take over these churches. He's got to care for them. He's got to watch over them. He says, hey, Timothy, the things you heard me say in front of many witnesses you take those and you teach those to people who will then teach others also. So where are you at in that food chain today? Oh, and that's a preacher's job, right? That's a Sunday school teacher's job. That's well, people who are kind of in leadership. That's what they do, right? Every one of you here today, you should be part of this process of discipleship. You need to be somewhere along. And what we talked about week one is you need to be having a mentor, someone that you look up to that is teaching you, and you need to have someone that you're mentoring, someone that you're helping along in the faith. So if you're missing either one of those people today and this week, you need to be praying, Lord, give me that person that can speak into my heart. Lord, give me that person that I can speak into their life. Some of you already have them in kids and grandkids that you need to be pouring yourself into them day and night. But some of us, our kids may have grown or we're moving and helping other spheres. We need to make sure that we're fulfilling the mission. So as a teacher, we need to make sure we are passing the faith along. So again, the question I had from week one is, who are you discipling or mentoring or training? This is from Chris Armstrong. I thought it was kind of encouraging. He says, even before finishing his degree and still lacking pastoral experience, Charles Simeon put his name forward for the pastorate at Cambridge's Holy Trinity Church. This was unheard of. Amazingly, Simeon was given the parish that he would labor there for the rest of his life. Initially, the church was less than pleased to receive this blustering minister who insisted that those who called themselves Christian be truly saved by grace and live lives more closely conformed to Christ. Can you believe he would expect that of people? They distributed his, excuse me, they distrusted his ivory tower background. They were largely artisans, families, or more bluntly, in Simeon's words, very poor church folks, and they were weary of his fervor. Opponents harassed Simeon by locking the family-owned pews. Could you imagine they come to church and you lock a pew and say nobody else can come sit here, right? Forcing those who wished to hear the new minister to find standing room as best they could. When Simeon brought in benches, church council members tossed them out into the churchyard. <laughs> but he was undeterred. Simeon was also determined to provide the Cambridge undergraduates with decent training in theology and pastoral ministry. 
1790, he began holding informal seminars for ministerial students on Sunday evenings. In 1812, he instituted weekly conversation parties in his rooms, essentially theological and pastoral question and answer sessions. By 1823, 40 students were attending. By 1827, there were 60, straining the room's capacity and keeping two servants busy just distributing tea. The English like their tea, right? <laughs> Along the way, the eager participants acquired the labels Simeonite or Sim, which they wore as badges of honor. Of the undergraduate Simeon trained during his 54 years at Holy Trinity, some 1,100 became effective and many distinguished parish ministers, chaplains, and missionaries. This is the test for each of us, isn't it, right? Will you pass what you've been given along to those in your life? I mean, as a church, we've got to figure out how to disciple well. Can I be real transparent here with you this morning? Okay. We have a lot of great people in our church. But in order for us to really grow and be what need to be, we have got to find a way to disciple all of our young people and all of our people. Right? We need more teachers. And maybe you're not a teacher today, but you need to be praying for teachers. And God will raise up teachers. And maybe some of these kids that we're having, if they end up going away and coming back, they may be the ones that help us by teaching but we need help with teachers so we can do what the Lord wants us to do. Would you pray that with me today, that God would give us teachers, right? All right. Second thing, besides a teacher, we want to look at soldier, soldier. So here's our soldier up there. Think a little bit about the soldier with me and think of verse uh, three. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Knowing serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs, he wants to please his commanding officer. What's the phrase tied with the soldier right off the bat? It's kind of a tough one, isn't it? Endure. Endure hardship. A soldier is known to face hardship. That's part of the job description, isn't it, right? Endure it. Paul is speaking to us as believers, to Timothy. He said, I need you to hang in there, to hold on, to face hardship like a good soldier. And again, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. And that's the thing. I want you think about this again with me this morning, kind of going back to our teacher here. Soldiers, they don't just start out with this type of attitude, do they? Do they show up, they get their outfit, they get their gun, and then we send them over to the Middle East the next day? <laughs> no, that doesn't work, does it, right? What, are, what, what do we do to help soldiers get where they need to be? They have to be trained, amen? Yes, they need to be trained. Think again about good soldiers in our church. I'm afraid sometimes someone says, I surrender to the Lord, I want to be saved. We pray over them, they get baptized, and then we say, go out in the world, have a good time. Come back here on Sundays, we'll check in with you, right? They need to be trained. They need to be alongside someone in the jail, alongside someone in the homeless ministry, alongside someone in the nursing home. They need to be discipled and trained. And for some of us here today, that's where we got to step up. And the next time that you're serving someone, you might think about taking along someone. Your preacher likes to take along people for fun, right? Let's get in the kayak. Let's go on a hike. Let's go play sports, right? But we also need to take people along as we go and serve so we can help them develop and grow them. Again, like the soldier, we're going to endure some hardship. And here's the thing. He says, we should not get tangled with the world's 
affairs. That is so hard, isn't it? What are you thinking about today? Well, I was thinking about the sermon until you just said that. <laughs> what's on your mind? What, what's taking up your time? Where is your focus? We were kind of having a little fun yesterday, joking around. I said this, I think, to Todd or whatever. They were, they were wondering if one of these days could the United States ever go back into a civil war. I said, I don't think so, because there would be way too many people saying, well, I need to see what's on Netflix first. Right? We're so distracted. We have so little commitment that I don't know that we can engage to get things accomplished. I'm afraid, hear me out here, this for the preacher as well. Sometimes us in the church, we're so distracted and we're so disoriented that we're not accomplishing our vision and our mission and our ministry because we just rather sit home and watch TV or do whatever, right? What's the key point of the soldier here? That he doesn't get entangled in the world's affairs. And look at this. The bottom line needs to be what? How will he do what? How will he please those who are in charge of him? And for us, how will we please the Lord? So that's your question today. What am I doing? And the bottom line is, is if, if I'm doing this, is this going to please the Lord? And let me say that the Lord is very pleased with you getting rest. Sometimes it's good for you to go on a vacation and get what you need. Don't feel guilty about that, but thank the Lord for that time and ask him to recharge you during that session. But sometimes we're doing things that it's just because what we want to do, and we haven't even asked the Lord if he wants to be a part of it at all. A soldier says, I'm not going to get entangled with the world's affairs, and I'm going to see what pleases the one who's in charge of me, right? That's a soldier. Next one is an athlete. The athlete. What can we take from the athlete? Look down, if you would, in verse 5. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the... See, I knew this was going to come back around. I was going to get you, didn't it, right? You were all on that grace thing a while ago, weren't you, right? You're like, oh, yeah, see, I don't have to obey the rules. What's the scripture? I'm not making this up. This isn't penology. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to what? The rules. <laughs> there are rules in this thing, right? There's a manual. God gave you a manual and said, here's some instructions. If you want to be successful with this instrument that I'm giving you, you better take a look at the instructions. You better follow the rules that I have given you so that you can compete, so that you can receive a crown. You can't do just however you please. We must do whatever will please him. Obedience. What makes the athletes so amazing is their discipline, right? It's crazy. Have you seen some of the discipline of some of the athletes? Like some of the swimmers, they blow my mind. Even in high school, our swimmers are spending like three and four hours every day, like five days a week to keep that body in shape, right? It's amazing the discipline they have. Same thing here for the athlete. We are going to have to be determined with the Lord's help to be obedient. Again, we've said this many times. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And can we ignore our neighbors or our friends or our coworkers who need mercy and expect everything to be okay with God? Nope. Like an athlete, we need obedience, and that will be the sign of the growth. All right. So we've talked about the teacher, the soldier, and the athlete. Who's left? The farmer, right? Look down if you were there in verse 6. The farmer. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Scott and Ray, the summer at VBS. <laughs> the farmer. 
the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. You probably said something similar to this, right? You want to eat, you need to work. That's biblical, by the way. You want to eat, you should work. Now, I want to notice a few phrases here I think are important. The farmer that works hard will be rewarded. Again, the same with Timothy. It's for him, but it's also for all the people who serve the Lord in his strength, again, in grace. Now, there's a couple ideas here, and I want you to see both of these things just briefly. First thing, and I think this is important, especially with bivocational ministers. Look at that verse bullet point. It is proper for ministers to receive compensation for their ministry. We have a hard time with that sometimes. I have a hard time with that sometimes, right? Well, he should be doing it for the Lord's will, not because he's getting any money. You're right. He should be doing it for the Lord's will. But is it right for the church to take care of the person who is serving them? It is right. Okay. Now, I have a really great opportunity. And this is something that the Lord kind of has in my genetics, I think. I, I need to be working a job because that's how the Lord gets me out into the world. Yeah, maybe you don't believe this about me, but if, if I didn't have that outside job, I would just suck in into internal things and I would be not with people that I need to be with. So that's one of the things there. But the side thing is then that I also don't have to be so dependent and the church doesn't have to be burdened with, you know, taking care of all of my family's needs. And we very appreciate what you do for us. But the reminder here is that Paul is the one saying this. And what did Paul do when he went from town to town? He always just go telling everybody, give him a lot of money. He made tents, <laughs> right? He had a side hustle. He was bivocational. That was his way. But at the same time, He's telling this to tell Timothy because you know what Timothy's going to do? Now there's a whole bunch of churches that Timothy has to care for. Is Timothy going to have time to make tents? He's probably not. And he needs to make sure that he's training people and that they're training people that it is proper for the hardworking farmer to receive a share of the crops. Now that hardworking is pretty important because there's a lot of people who would like to take a position and then preachers terminology to skate on it, the slide on it, right? But here, very clearly, Paul says it's a hard-working farmer. Now, the second thing I want you to see here, too, that I think is not as specific but also applies, this truth it holds, is that the Lord will provide for those who are doing his bidding, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We're taught to pray that, but the promise is that the Lord will give us what we need to do what he wants us to do. And here is this same truth. If we will work hard with the Lord, he will give us the resources that we need to accomplish the things for his glory. Trust him in that, okay? So as you think about the farmer today, you want to emulate the hardworking nature of the farmer, but you also want to emulate the faith of the farmer. How much faith does a farmer have to have? right? <laughs> they have no control over the wind. They have no control over the snow, over the rain, over the pests. They try everything they can. They try to put in irrigation. They try to put in chemicals. They think they can do all these things, but ultimately they know it's in the Lord's hands. And I think that's why I love farmers because they have to have a lot of faith to trust that the Lord is going to provide. Like the farmer, we want to do the same thing. Again, not just any farmer can expect to share, but the hardworking one does. So finally this morning, again, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, just like a teacher, just like 
a soldier, just like an athlete, just like a farmer. And then verse 7, Paul says, reflect on what I am saying, and the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Think about it. Think about it prayerfully, and God will guide you. This is an old little parable story, but I just love to read it. I may have read it to you before. I don't know, but I want you to hear it again. I think it's such a good truth for us to, to take with us as we leave today. In one area of Africa where Christianity began to spread, converts were zealous about their daily devotions. So their prayer time, their Bible reading. They would find their own spot within the wild thickets, and they would pour their hearts out to God. After some time, the spots became well-worn, and the paths were created, and soon one's prayer life was made public. If someone began to neglect his or her devotional life, it would soon be noticed by others, and believers would then gently and lovingly remind those in neglect, the grass grows on your path. <laughs> right? How's your path looking today? Is it well-worn? Is it very repetitive? Is it very clear? Or has it been a while since you've been down that path? Right? Some of you know, right? I'm looking at you right now, and you know that you need to work a little bit more on your path, don't you? Amen? And ask the Lord to help you. I'm not saying you do that in your own strength, but say just like here he said, reflect. Reflect on what I'm saying, and the Lord will give you insight. Well, I think he's giving you some insight today. You need to say, Lord, help me to establish that. Lord, let your Holy Spirit be the discipline that I need to do the things that I need to do. Again, is the grass growing on your path? Are you strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Like a teacher, what? Pass it down. Who are you giving what God has given you? Who are you entrusting the gospel to? As a soldier, endure hardship and don't get distracted. It's easy. You be the soldier. Be strong and stay on focus. As an athlete, obey. Play by the rules. And when I say play by the rules, I don't mean that you have to be a legalistic rule follower, but you need to follow the principles that God has given. And where we disregard them, we will pay for them, right? Like an athlete, obey. And then finally, as a farmer, be diligent with the things God has given you, with the gifts, whether that's your kids or your knowledge or your resources. Take and use those things that God has given you for his glory and for your joy, all right? Amen. Let's stand this morning.